Welcome to Masters of Employee Development, Mike Acker's podcast devoted to training team members in any type of organization. As a best-selling author, corporate trainer, and business leader, I seek out guests each week to discuss training successes, challenges, and best practices. On this show, you will hear from incredible CEOs, HR directors, and other experienced managers responsible for leadership and development. Lean in, listen, and take part in a community dedicated to improving life through increasing leadership. Do you ever feel like you are not a great leader and you're not even sure why your team is following you or if they want to follow you? Today, we're going to talk about how to develop a culture in which you are aligned with your team and you're bringing out the best of their abilities onto what you're trying to do. We're doing that with Jeff Cohen. Check it out. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome. Oh, Mike, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate that. Well, you have a book coming out and we have a lot to talk about in terms of employee development, but you have a great story that you started to share beforehand about a time in life when you felt like maybe you weren't the best leader and and you weren't in developing your employees. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who can relate. So kind of take us back to that moment. Sure. You know, so first off, thanks for acknowledging that story. I know we just briefly started sharing it. And then you said, no, stop, Jeff. I want to hear like newly, like for the very first time when we do the podcast. So I stopped and I, um, that story starts out about 10 years ago, but you know, the fact of the matter is the story of our lives start out at birth. And from in a very early age, we develop triggers. Um, and, uh, you know, in my book, like the first um, third of the book are a whole bunch of stories about like, how did I develop my triggers? What are they? Like, what's the impact that, that that's caused in my life for the last 50 years, right? And um, I think your readers, uh, your listeners, and, and the people viewing us will, they'll really love the first chapter, it's called Grand Theft Auto. And um, it's how I developed my very first trigger. It's carried me all through life. And the story I was sharing with you about leadership and mine um, really stems from that. Mm-hmm. But you know what I, what I was sharing is about um, 2013, I took a program called the Team Management Leadership Program. It's a program deeply rooted in the concept of being accountable. And boy, I hated that word. Just, ah, it made me cringe. (laughs) Um, And I know I wasn't the only one, but, you know, as I got into the program, I took it, I guess I was really looking to be punished. Um, I don't know, something. (laughs) Um, It's one of those programs that you take that you think you should take, but you don't want to take. I've been there before. Right. Well, it was... It was a program that when I learned about it and took the journey to, to taking it, I, I, what I learned was it was possible to create anything that I want in the world. Mm-hmm. If you just help enough other people reach their goals, yours will show up just a, as a, a function of them achieving theirs. And in this program, what I, what I did was I took a really deep, hard look at myself and I noticed I was a crappy boss. Mm. My leadership sucked. 
Um, yet people wanted to work for me. And I'm looking at this years after like those experiences where people actually wanted to work for me, saying to myself, I that doesn't make sense. It just doesn't add up. What's going on here? So can, I got can I pause right there. Let me throw this in for everybody listening and watching on YouTube that if you feel like you're a crappy boss, if you feel like you're not sure if you're doing things well, that you're in good company. Jeff and I have been there before. We're talking about employee development, not because we've attained some type of level of uh, perfection, but because we've been through that and we're students of it. So, so join us in this journey. All right. Keep on that's, going. That's perfect, Mike. That is totally perfect. Because, you know, I started, I got about 50 CEOs and entrepreneurs and business owners together in groups of seven and eight while I was in that program. And we really looked at what the gaps in our business were. Mm-hmm. And as we started, you know, funneling down from the general topics to generally what's not working, we got down to the very little tip, right? Mm-hmm. The part of the funnel where nothing really comes out. And we found it was really about communication. Mm-hmm. And then that became its own funnel itself because it wasn't just the general topic of communication. It was about how to have effective communication. And effective communication is lacking in most conversations. Um, I was um, with some friends this weekend. My wife and I have a little foster daughter. She's a year old. And um, we were with some friends that have a seven-year-old. And we've watched this beautiful little girl grow up. We love her. And we're in this wagon. Both of the girls are in the wagon. The seven-year-old's watching the one-year-old. And, you know, I turn around just as we're we're pulling up to the uh, frozen yogurt shop. And I see my foster daughter is standing up in the wagon and the other one's on her device playing. And I said, hey, honey, have a seat. And I got her sitting down. looked at the seven-year-old who said he was, she was going to watch her. I said, Hey, what happened? Well, I told you she was standing. I'm like, Oh, I, I didn't quite hear you. I said, um, in the future, could you do me a favor? Could you make sure that I answer you? Mm-hmm. And she goes, you know, got it. Now I love the term. Got it. It tells me that someone's either completely heard me or it's just trying to get rid of me. And um, by the way, that's the way God it is in the world. Like it's a really quick way to just move people along, right? And I said to her, I said, hey, honey, what did you get? And she had to think about it for a minute. Yeah, okay. And by the way, we all have that seven-year-old in us, right? We're all busy doing things. Yeah. She just happened to be, you know, whatever she was doing on a, a phone, but we we are all busy doing things. So the mere fact that someone says, got it, means nothing. Right. It was out of that that I, I realized, you know, 10 years ago, what we really needed was a way to identify a number of things about people yep. and to ensure that communication could be effective. And, and in the book, and we'll go into this in a few minutes, probably, but in the book, I actually define what effective communication is in my world. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So, and let's get into that in just a, in just a minute for that, because there's, there's two types of 
of communication. Well, there's actually multiple types, but let's just put it into these two categories here. There are the categories where a lot of what I do is working on how to get your words out. So it's, it's how to speak. It's a lot of public speaking, speak with no fear, speak and meet virtually, uh, speaking with confidence, all those kind of ideas. So that's about you being able to get your words out and communicate it confidently, but you can speak and not communicate. You can get your stuff across or out, but not across. And really that next part is that, hey, we're really communicating, connecting, and making sure that the other person really gets it. And right. when you're talking about that, what is it that you teach on how to effectively communicate? Not how to effectively not stumble and have verbal fluency and posture and all those things, but how to communicate? What is it that you you guide people through? Well, so there's two Two things, right? Um, first off, if you want to have a culture where communication is effective, that's yeah. a lot different than just having an effective communication. Yeah. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't start when I start talking to the people on teams. It starts when I start working with the CEO or the entrepreneur or the founder or the business owner that is interested in having a culture where um, two things exist. First off, where they know that their direct reports are aligned with their vision, their goals, and their direction. Mm -hmm. Now, to get there, it takes a few things, right? So to have um, effective alignment means that as a leader, you need a vision. You need to be able to prioritize the actions. And then lo and behold, effective communication is key mm -hmm. because most people speak from an emotional state, not always a, um, a, a rational state where they're thinking about the outcome that they want mm -hmm. and speaking from that. And I've got a few great stories to share about that, that I can do today. And they're also in the book, yeah. but, um, but then you also are, are, if you've got alignment, then, trust becomes the next key issue. Mm -hmm. And to have trust, there needs to be some kind of a shared value system. You want to have um, a good handle on what the abilities of the resources and people. Mm -hmm. Notice I didn't just say people because you have a lot of resources in your organization. And again, effective communication would be key. Right. Um, now, if you have all of those things, it's possible, but not guaranteed that you'll have trust and alignment. And in the book, I go very, uh, in very detailed way into what the trust alignment frameworks are, because there are three, right? Right. The trust framework, the alignment give, framework. And give us a little bit of that. And that's something that someone can be listening right now and walk away with and go, okay, here's how I have my trust and alignment. Yeah, so it's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. uh, first off, um, I'll, I'll, um, I'll frame it this way. There are a lot of great frameworks for operating a business out there. Mm -hmm. I've studied a number of them and I'm impressed. And like, there's not one that I found that I said, no, this is just lousy. It's just the question is, does it fit for the particular organization that you're working with? Yeah. Um, frameworks like the Entrepreneur Operating System, EOS, Scaling Up, and, and those types. And what I found in those frameworks is they do an excellent job of providing a roadmap. 
What's often missing is how do you fulfill on that roadmap? And one of the things that I think all of the frameworks I've looked at generally say is you need the right person doing the right job at the right time. Yeah. Okay. So that's great. Like, I don't know anybody that would disagree with that. That's probably why it's in all the frameworks. Yeah. The thing that I've not seen in many of them is how do you know you have the right person doing the right job and it's the right time? Mm -hmm. So if, if your organization is not aligned, um, if there's no trust, and by the way, trust is always falling out. People are always looking for the chink in the armor of trust. They're looking for the thing to say, see, I told you so. I yeah. knew I couldn't trust him, right? So it's always falling out and restoring that trust and the integrity around it. That really takes something. So, you know, just on that same thing, that's, I, I read when I was in college, I read that ever since Nixon, that the trust in America has gone down. That when, when he failed our trust as, what was that, the 70s? That when he failed our trust, that all of a sudden the trust towards news anchors and the trust towards pastors and the trust towards CEOs has just been eroding consistently in the business place. So interesting idea on trust here that our trust is at an all-time low because we keep on hearing all these stories of broken trust. So yeah, right. very interesting. So it's so it's eroding, and that's a good thing for everybody to be listening to here, right here. No matter how much trust you built previously, there's an erosion of it. So go for it. Yeah, it's kind of like the ocean, right? Every yeah. wave hits, and there's a few pebbles of sand that you know get displaced. Yeah. And and you know, so it's really great. In fact, in the book, I talk about um, a really historic agreement that was made in the '80s by Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev when they did the arms treaty. And Reagan got up at the podium and he said, we are going to trust you mm. that you're going to put away all your big rockets. And then he said, and then we're going to send some people in to verify. And that's what's missing in most communications is leaders want to trust their people because the last thing they want to do is micromanage. And God forbid they would ever be viewed as a micromanager like that is the worst, right? But the reality is, is that just trusting is not effective. Mm -hmm. I, um, I saw, you're probably familiar with HubSpot. I found an amazing presentation by their CTO. It was 124 slides about how they treat people. It was a great presentation. I was impressed as part of my research for the book, right? Mm -hmm. And... In there, they talk about how people get to take as long a vacation or as many vacations as they want, how they trust their people to do their job. I didn't see anything in there about metrics. I didn't see anything in there about effectiveness. Mm. And the number one thing I did not see was anything about um, verification. Mm -hmm. Now, verification often looks like this. Hey, Mike, it's Friday afternoon at four o'clock you're getting ready to go home for a long weekend, right? Hey, Mike, did you get that thing done that I asked you to do three weeks ago? Now it's four o'clock, your mind is elsewhere. You may be in the middle of finishing something up with a client, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Not, hey, Mike, do you have a second? 
Can we talk? Or can we put a little time on the calendar? I got a few things I want to review. But it's catching you off guard, which happens all the time. And we don't even realize we're doing it. And it's because what's happened in the environment when that occurs is you actually don't have a scheduled verify meeting. Mm -hmm. So what's a scheduled verify meeting? So the concept of being count honorable has it um, kind of turned accountability on its side, right? Accountability is not a term that anybody I know really likes. They're not drawn to it. They don't wear it like a badge with pride. Yeah. They heard it last night on the news when, you know, somebody was going to jail. There was a politician that was in the middle of a, you know, scandal. Right. They want to hold these people accountable. And you listen, if you want to hold people at gunpoint, do that. But you're never going to hold people accountable. They're going to run away from that faster than you know. And you're going to be more frustrated than anybody in the world. Right. Accountability is one of the most frustrating topics for a leader to deal with because there's not a leader out there that doesn't want it but they haven't set their team up for it. And the context around it is not, um, it's not working generally. Mm -hmm. So what count, being count honorable does is it acknowledges that. And it says, look, we actually take pride when we can tell people, Mike, you can count on me for this and for this, but you cannot count on me for that. Mm -hmm. Now, in most organizations, people love hearing you can count on me for this and this. When it comes to you can't count on me for that, then what happens is there's a penalty. It's not said, it's not written, it just occurs. You now are the person that's not willing to do whatever the special job is. And here's what's missing. This is like if you take nothing else away from this conversation and you want your people to stay with you, this is what's missing. You haven't done your job in hiring them and in managing them over time to know what they're great at, what caters to their strengths and what they love doing. Mm. Now, Mike, if you had an employee that had those three things, what would you call them? Yeah, an incredible employee. Top yeah, line. they'd be like, they'd be your rainmaker. Like this would be like your dream employee, right? Right. Guess what? When they have that, right? When, when they have that, it's their dream job. Right. And what's the likelihood they're going to leave their dream job? Yeah, very little. Right. So guess what? All of the money, the extra money that you're spending on recruiting and hiring and all these special programs to make people feel motivated. Right. Listen, people get motivated when they love doing something that they're great at that supports the idea of all the strengths they have. Yeah. And what we don't do as managers, we don't create the environment for them where number one, we're able to figure out what that is in the beginning and how that changes over time, right? Because let's face it, we all want to do different things over time. You didn't just start a podcast. 
right? You did a whole bunch of stuff. And then you said, oh, I think that would be a great extension of what I'm doing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Before I, I want to go back to something you said here, because you said this verified trust. And so I was thinking about this and that really count on, like you can count on me playing on the accountability. In, in essence, just in my mind, as I'm, I'm listening to you playing this out, it's almost like verified trust with clear expectations. Right. Well, that's the alignment, right? Right. So inside of the trust alignment framework, um, there's the notion of knowing the ability of the resources and prioritizing the actions. Yeah. And here's where you get to when you do the next level 90 program on your way to being a count honorable organization, you get to where you're able to identify the things people are drawn to doing that they do quickly and that they're good at. More importantly, the number one thing you can know about your employee is what they won't do, what they hate doing, what they put last. Yeah. And the reason you want to have a verify meeting, it's not to micromanage anything or anyone. And for some people, it could occur that way. Sure. But I've actually put my process, which I pat- I'm patenting right now, I've put it all in the book. Yeah. And it doesn't just tell you have a trust and verify meeting. It tells you what your meeting schedule should be how to hold the meetings, what to say, how to say it. Because the number one trigger I have is the word why. Mm. Now, if you say the word why to me in a way that has me like a little concern, I'll give you 20 to 30 minutes of why. Like I will waste your time. Like there is no tomorrow. Mm. If you have six people reporting to you, you'll waste two to three hours a week like that. Because I guarantee you, You're triggering all of your people and disempowering them in the process. And when you do that, you're you're not always clear. How do you move them past the trigger when all you really want to know is, is this a a task you actually want to do? Like, do I, should I assign it to someone that it it is one of their strengths that they love doing like, and so out of the program, you're actually able to develop the list of tasks and actions people consider their favorites, their priorities, that they're great at doing. It gives you the ability now going into your organization saying, oh, we can get so much more done now. Yeah. We're actually not wasting time trying to cover our butts, right? Right. We're actually getting the stuff that's mission critical done. What, what What happens when you're building a team and you you don't have all the people in the right place yet, and you you're, I mean, one of those spots where, like, when you first start something, you often have to do everything your own, especially if you haven't fundraised enough and you haven't done capital funding. Maybe you're just doing a, a bootstrapping it. I was talking with one guy. He started with less than two thousand dollars, and I just interviewed him a couple weeks ago, Frederick, uh, and so he just did this this. Like he's doing everything on his own. And then the first person they brought on was doing everything. And so they're playing outside of their strengths and weaknesses. So what would you say to somebody like that, that's on that, that level that they haven't built up? They, they are in that growth phase. Well, there's two things you brought up. One is the first question was, what do you do when you already have a team? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you do? How do you know? And 
think the first thing that you do there is um, like, if you bring the next level 90 program to create a count onable organization in, sure. then what happens is we start with an existing team. Yeah. And the first 90 days, because we accomplish a lot in 90 days, these are all 90 day increments, um, is we actually create a plan for 90 days that helps you get to the dream goal and vision yeah. that you have that might be five or 10 years out. But it makes a measurable impact today, not just for you, but for all of your people, because we start putting in the alignment. Right, right. You're no longer in five different sports cars, driving on different freeways, going different places really fast. Right. You're actually on a bus that's moving at the same pace, getting a little frustrated because it's not as fast as you want it to go. Yeah. But but you're not off in left field when the ball is hit down to center field. Like you're in this in the vicinity with your executive team. And then your executive team is able to start bringing their people in and getting them aligned. So we work to help create a count-onable company, not just a count-onable leader, right? Um, and then the second thing you said was, well, what do you do when you're just bootstrapping? By yeah. the way, there's not a single company I've started where I haven't bootstrapped. <laughs> and I've grown seven and eight-figure companies. Right, okay? yeah. So- these are opportunities for you to look. And by the way, I really don't believe having um, a barrel full of money in the beginning is, is going to help you be more successful. You'll just waste a lot more of it because you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. The number one mistake you'll make is you'll hire the wrong person for the wrong job and you won't know right. until you, you feel like you've been ripped off. Man, there are right? so many stories like that, right? Oh my God. So when you're just starting out, it's the same thing as when you have a team, you need to do a, a profiling assessment. There are a few that I like. The one I've, I've used most in my life over the years is the Strengths Finder assessment by Gallup. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite too. Um, I also just found one and a professor out of UC Santa Barbara whose father developed it in Europe and he's bringing it to the US right now. That's a team assessment, which I love because, mm -hmm. you know, when you assess yourself, you fit in this box over here. Mm -hmm. When other people assess you, they look at you and they say, well, you might be over here, but that just may be your vision of you. They might see you here and here and here and here, right? All over the place. Yeah. So I love that one. And, um, but you need to have something like that to start with. So you know what people are strong at, what they gravitate toward. Um, I mean, my top five things on my assessment are I'm futuristic, I'm strategic, um, I'm great at communication, I have a strong belief system. And when it comes to winning others over. Yeah. The power of woo. Right. Woo, right. <laughs> but you know what my very last strength is? Number 34 adaptable. Huh. Once I get it that this is the way it ought to be. Yeah. It really takes a crane to move me. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Okay. Right. So, so I think I, I love this. Out. I love this knowing your team. I love diving into it. That's obviously just something that's just or not so obvious. Sometimes 
That's a huge aspect of developing them. You got to know them first to be able to develop them. And I mean, I talk about this in a book at one point in time where I went through StrengthsFinder and saved my relationship with one of my employees. The first time I had a real full-time employee, it saved my relationship with them because then I was able to not hold him accountable to what I thought he should be doing, but I, I was able to actually go back through, reset expectations on and on and on. And that was really great. I didn't realize I didn't realize I was being a bad boss because I didn't know that he wasn't like me. And just in in the world that I was living at that point in time, I wanted him to engage quickly back. I mean, we were lean, mean, growing, and he was my first full-time employee. And I didn't do all the stuff I probably should have done. And I hired out of convenience, great person, someone I could trust, but to trust to do his things, not what I actually specifically needed. And and long story short. I didn't have a knowledge of who he was and what his strengths really were. And once I was able to do that, I was able to rectify not a into a perfect setting, but into something that worked. No, that's great. Yeah. I mean, in my software company, we grew it to 50 people in under two years and we were working with all fortune 500 global 2000 companies. Yeah. We found early on was we needed a certain type of individual And what we found was to get that, um, we had to be creative. One of the creative things that we did around people, because it was a consulting organization, was um, I had six um, direct reports um, and they all managed people. Some of them, the three of them managed client-facing personnel. And those that did what we initially did when we found someone is we, we had them do the disk profiling test so that we could identify whose team, who would be the best manager for this person. And then we had them do strengths finder so we could look and see, okay, where do they fit on the team? Yeah. Cause we wanted to have complementary teams. And I will say that, you know, a lot of what I, what I have in count Audible actually comes from back then when we were doing agile software development process for companies and it, it's the foundation for how you become a count company. Um, and we did it in organizations with as many as 5,000 people. Um, so it made an enormous difference in their ability to deliver. Um, now I'm focusing on organizations between 10 and 500 employees, mm-hmm. finding that, um, gosh, if there's just in the early stages a way to align the people Mm-hmm. have them develop a bond of trust that as it gets tested, gets stronger, mm-hmm. right? Where they know that leadership has their back and they don't have a target on their back instead, right? Yeah. And um, and I know that what I have will scale to these large organizations because a lot of what's in the process was done it was just agile software development instead of agile instead of agile business management, which is really what Next Level Ninety is. It's a way to manage your company iteratively, identifying that there are going to be issues that come up, knowing that ninety percent of the issues or more are generally around people either doing or not doing the things that you want them to be accountable for, mm-hmm. and recognizing that that's a flawed model. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, this is so good, Jeff. So if someone's listening to this, first of all, I think they're one walk away. They can take away right away is look, if I'm not right there and I'm not perfect, that's, that's going to be okay. <laughs> that I, that I can grow. Second is that, that alignment through verified trust and just trust, but verify it and verify the trust and this working relationship, which should be in all relationships. We have a reason for the trust. It's not a blind blanketed trust and that, that clear expectations and anything else that you would add that just say, Mike, I want to make sure that they grab a hold of this idea right here and that they, they walk through it, especially in the idea of developing their employees. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is a little bit off topic and totally focuses on the development of employees. So it's a little off topic in that, you know, I can tell you've done a lot of communications um, training and you're very developed in communications. Right. So have I. Yeah. And what I have found is my personal life is way stronger today than it was after my divorce, before I did all of the training and development that I did. I now found a way through the tools that I share in the book um, to um, not avoid arguments with my wife, but have them turn into collaborative conversations. Mm. And I talk about triggers and I really invite you guys come to the countonable.com website and download that first chapter in the book. It's my number one trigger. I guarantee you have one, but through the development I've done now, when my wife triggers me, because mm-hmm. our spouses never trigger us, right? Yeah, right. When she triggers me, I'm able to say to her without answering her question at the moment, Hey honey, you may not recognize this, but I've just been totally triggered by what you said. And there's nothing wrong, but I need a minute to work myself out around it before I respond so we can have a conversation. Are you okay with that? Now, nine times out of 10, she's great with that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes she's not. But if I can avoid 90% of potential arguments with my spouse, my relationship and my life is richer. Mm-hmm. My sons and I have a relationship today, unlike we did when I I was married to my first wife. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, all of the stress and pressure that went with having a business that was affected by the economy the way it was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the number one thing that I would tell people that they can get from being count honorable Mm -hmm. is the confidence of knowing what they can tell people they're not count honorable for. Yeah. The confidence to be able to say to them, look, you really don't want me doing that. I mean, I can do it, but I want to let you know you're going to set me up to be a B employee if I do that, because I'm an A employee in this today. And when you hired me, you hired me because I'm an A employee here. Mm-hmm. So I just want to let you know, odds are this is not going to be the same quality you're used to from me. Yeah, I'm totally willing to take it on because to your point, I'm employee number two and there's only two of us. Yeah. Right. But just know that we're going to want to find someone in the organization 
that is great at this, that loves doing this. And I'm totally willing to be a gap filler today. I love how you're using triggers in both the personal world and then also in the work world right here. With example, with your, your wife and then even in the work world. And I hadn't thought about it in that regards. I've, I've actually been thinking a lot about triggers in the last five years. And it seems like in my 20s, I was kind of oblivious to it. And I was just gung-ho, go for it. In my 30s, there was so much success early on in my 30s that it didn't seem like I could be triggered. Now, looking back, I could. But then in my about later 30s, I started realizing, oh, that's that was a trigger. Oh, that's why I responded that way. That's why I did that. I don't right. know if that's maturity. I don't know if it's just stresses of life. Who knows? But it's interesting. And as you said that, I had these flashbacks to some of my prior work engagements on, oh, what was the trigger there? I'm familiar with triggers at home. And for anybody who's not familiar with the term trigger, it's something that all of a sudden triggers a shot, a direction, a change in you, often negative. And so it could be someone says it uses this tone or refers to you or looks like this. But it is good to know what triggers you have personally, but then what triggers are going to cause you to work less productive, less effective, like what Jeff's talking about. I have a great story. I know we're probably coming to the end of our conversation, but I I think for all of the people listening, this story can hit home. Yeah. Uh, I have a client I've been working with for about maybe four or five years now. Uh, Two partners. They have a small business under 10 employees. Um, By the way, two of the most amazing, magnificent gentlemen that I know. Um, And they're they're great at what they do. One of them is the CEO and he's very um, uh, much a driver. Like when it comes to sales, this is the guy you want, right? The other comes out of a marketing and operations background. Both of these guys have done big things at Fortune 500 companies. And then they teamed up and started their own um, organization. And you know, the, when I started working with them, we found that the guy that was the marketing COO would just disappear for a few days at a time. Like we wouldn't hear from him. I was wondering, cause I do meetings every week with my clients. I was wondering what's going on here. Why am I not seeing this? And, you know, over time, what I learned was that when the CEO would talk to him, it wouldn't be based on the outcome he wanted. It would be based on the experience he was having in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be, you're not working hard enough. You're not doing a good job at this. You're not doing the things that you say you want to do. It was always a not, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other, the partner would really get triggered and it would take him three or four days to work it out in his yeah. head and yeah. come back to being able to do work again. And by the way, when we do that to our employees, they still show up at work or to work. It's just, they're so busy trying to figure out what happened and how to make you happy. Yeah. They're not focused on their job. So one day I get a phone call from the CEO and he says to me, Hey, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. I said, I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah. What am I not going to believe? He goes, well, you know, that thing you were talking about outcomes at that point, I've been talking about it with them for a year. Yeah. Uh, He goes, well, I was about to yell at my COO and I stopped. 
like mid-sentence. I just stopped. I said, really, what happened? He goes, I remember. He would go away for three or four days and we have a lot to accomplish right now. I said, that was not the outcome I wanted. <laughs> and then about an hour later, I get a phone call from the COO. He goes, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. You know that stuff you've been talking about regarding outcomes? I think the CEO is really taking it to heart. I said, why? He goes, well, he stopped just before he was going to piss me off. So, so they're both realizing, I love it that when, when people act on it, I love it when I act on advice and catch myself acting on advice that I've been given in that kind of environment. Hey, that's great. The, the, I love this, man. There's so much good here. Way too much to unpack. Obviously, you got a book coming out, so that's great. Uh, and that is Count Honorable. And share where people can find you to get more of this. You've whet the appetite for creating accountability in a good way especially uh, even in this regards to the CEO and COO, but talk to us a little bit about where we can find you. So count audible is a play on the word accountable, just change four later, four letters, right? And there you are. Um, so you can come to my website, countonable.com. And we have a bunch of free resources there, all of the spreadsheets and uh, workbooks and assets and bonus materials for the book are all there. Um, you can also, um, find me, uh, the book launches June 14th. So it'll be on Amazon, uh, the 14th. And in that very first week, we've got some special uh, offers for people in order to help them, uh, get, uh, get to be aware of what being count honorable is. And, um, I like the way you put it a minute ago, cause it really does. It helps people develop a positive context around accountability yeah. where it's no longer two people butting heads around accountability, but just one person saying what they can be counted on or not counted on for. And that's where being count honorable comes out of. So, you know, please come to the website, look me up, connect with me on any of the communities I'm in. And, um, you know, I just want to say, Mike, um, you have an opportunity here as, as you're listening to this to make a choice. Yeah. And I invite you to choose to stop being accountable and start being count honorable yeah. for everybody on your team. I love it. Well done, Jeff. I think we, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing so much of just your own journey with us, as well as that own personal story that a lot of us can relate with. And really to all of our listeners and viewers, thank you so much for making this possible just to share with you, to have these conversations. We do this for you. Feel free to comment, to share, to like, to subscribe, pass it on to somebody or even refer somebody that you think would be a great person to be on, on the podcast. Until next time, this has been Mike Acker with Jeff Cohen from Masters of Employee Development. Thanks for listening to Masters of Employee Development. Do you know someone who would be a great guest? Send them to mikeacker.com forward slash apply. Do you want the show notes? Go to connect.mikeacker.com. Until next time, subscribe, rate, and give a review on Amazon or iTunes or your favorite platform.